The Last Word with Matt Cooper. A report published today by the Economic and Social Research Institute has seen a surge in the number of people with gambling addictions. It comes, of course, amid the gambling regulator being set up in the next couple of months. But let's go through some of the findings of this report and also let's get some reaction to it. Pete Lunn is head of the Behavioural Research Institute at the ESRI. I will also be joined by Professor Colin O'Gara, consultant psychiatrist and head of addiction services at St John of God's Hospital. Pete it's good to talk to you again. Just take us through some of these findings. Much more people than we had previously estimated suffering from gambling addiction, and the number is quite staggering. Oh, yeah, good evening, Ian. So what we actually measured, it's not addiction that we measured, it's what's called problem gambling, and that's measured using a nine-item index, which sounds like sort of technical social science speak. It's pretty straightforward. We asked a nationally representative large sample a series of questions, and this is an international standard set of questions that are asked to assess problem gambling. And it's questions like, do you ever gamble more than you can afford? Do you ever borrow to fund your gambling? Uh, Does your gambling cause you health problems, stress and anxiety, and that kind of thing? And in response to these nine questions, people get given a score. And if they get above a certain threshold, they're classified as having problem problem gambling. Now... Previously, it was believed, based on the National Drug and Alcohol Survey, that the proportion of people in Ireland with problem gambling was actually very low, less than 1%, only about 12,000 people. But we had a concern, and we published a report earlier in the year, that this might be hidden because the measure is typically taken by a researcher, an interviewer, who comes and visits your house and asks you multiple of these questions. And that people might be, because the stigma attached to problem gambling and because people often feel a degree of guilt and shame about it, they might not be revealing the extent of it so instead what we did was we carried out the study anonymously online we were really careful to make it clear that people's responses were anonymous and we did it with a large nationally representative sample and we got a much much bigger number so we're looking at more than three percent of the adult population we equate that to 130,000 people in Ireland so it may be that there's been something of an increase since the last study as well because we can see there's been an increase in um, marketing activity and so on but more likely it's because we used a survey method that allowed people to be more anonymous and more honest in revealing their gambling behavior that's 130,000 people with problem serious problem gamblers but the figure could be higher if you include those who say that they might have moderate issues with gambling Uh, That's correct. There's another 279,000 or 7% of the population who say that they experience some of these negative outcomes from gambling, both in terms of finance and their kind of emotional relationship with it some of the time. So that's the simplest way of thinking about it, I think, that a problem gambler is somebody who's getting these kind of negative outcomes a lot of the time and a lot of these outcomes are as someone who's, we say there's moderate evidence of problem gambling, it's some of the time and some of these outcomes. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of people, it's much more than we previously believed. And I think the crucial implication of this is that we can no longer think that the gambling industry is providing entertainment and obviously jobs and livelihoods and all the good stuff and it's only a tiny minority, a sort of tiny minority that uh, are experiencing any kind of harm. What our study shows today actually is that harm is much more widespread than we previously thought. So that kind of view of the industry as a whole is essentially untenable. And you include in this, and it's not just the main betting companies, you include other forms of gambling and betting. 
Uh, yeah, the study covered all all forms, if you like. So, I mean, as well as kind of gambling on um, horse and dog racing and sport, we included lotteries and scratch cards, bingo, slot machines, casinos, online and in person. Yeah, it, it was very thorough. We looked at all gambling activity. This probably this part of the finding probably won't come as much as a surprise, but a lot of young people are struggling. Well, that's true, but actually we find that anybody really between the ages of 18 and 50, we got really quite high rates and far more women than we expected as well. I mean, it is true that problem gambling is more common among men than women, but we also got somewhere around one in 40 women as well. Now, that's in line with some recent international evidence that suggests that the gap in problem gambling, which was traditionally more likely to be a male phenomenon, is closing in other countries, and we're now seeing that in Ireland too. The peak, actually, in terms of age, is people in their 30s in our data. And problem gambling only really falls away for people who are in their kind of 50s and 60s. But even there, we don't know whether what we're looking at is what we call an age effect, where when people get to that kind of age, they just sort of cease this kind of activity, or whether it's actually what we call a cohort effect. In other words, it's generational, which means there's just a generation that's been exposed to more opportunities to gamble, more marketing and advertising of gambling, and may therefore, as they age, continue to engage problematically with gambling in their 50s and 60s. If that's the case, that also means that as well as being very high, the numbers that we have measured today are likely to grow further as this generation ages. I want to bring in Professor Colin O'Gara from St. John of God's Hospital. <coughs> Colin, when you hear these numbers from Pete, the people with serious <coughs> problems, 130,000 people, and then the other number, people with moderate problems, bringing in another couple of hundred thousand people, and then when you consider the amount of money people are spending, those with a serious problem, a thousand euro per month, this is an epidemic. Yeah, I think it is. And uh, those of us in clinical services, Ian, have been saying it for quite some time. Um, I mean, Pete referred there to the traditional figure of, um, you know, 0.3, 0.7, 0.8. These were the kind of figures that were put out for people who were affected by gambling addiction. And what these figures now here um, show is that actually there's a spectrum of harm. Just like, say, with alcohol in this country, there'd be people, say, about 40% of our population engaging in regular harmful episodic drinking. Um, with gambling, people are engaging in gambling and there is a spectrum of harm there as well. So really, it's not just the, uh, you know, this figure of 0.3 or 0.7, which used to be before, which is now actually 3% in this study. So 3% are seriously harmed. But we have five, nearly 600,000 people who are regularly harmed by gambling in a moderate way. Um, and then there's a further figure of 15% of people who have won item on the um on the severity index that was used in this study so really this is really fantastic research that i have to really commend the sri on this work we actually did a similar study in 2015 2016 which had the lofty title of the national online gambling survey well actually this is the proper national online gambling survey and it's what we try to do now we as a bunch of clinicians tried to do it at the time but we managed to get 200 people this has, what, 2,600 people or something, you know, in, the, in that region. So this is robust data and it, you know, it, it, as Pete says, it, it shows that as well as gambling being entertainment for some people, it's actually seriously harmful for other people as well. I mentioned the gambling bill at the top of this item that is coming down in the next couple of months and we've seen some attempts by lobbyists to roll back on it saying, look, you won't be able to watch the Cheltenham Festival or the Grand National or even some of the Champions League. Does it even go far enough when you look at these numbers and the potential harm it has on people's lives? 
Well, I think, I, you know, I, it, again, as clinicians, we observed the pressure that was coming Minister Brown, James Brown's way in this regard. And I think what this data does, actually, it just vindicates his whole com- approach to date and it validates all the hard work that he's done. Um, now, obviously, he's you know this this legislation has been uh, you know has been failed attempts attempts at it in the past, but we shouldn't get stuck on that. We've we've a great opportunity actually to use this data now to actually mould not only treatment services but our approach to gambling in this country. We know for a fact that the developing brain, particularly in young men. Uh, which doesn't mature till around 25, we are bombarding this mature bra- or immature brain, which we know is plastic and, and that is susceptible to these environmental influences. We're hammering it with these uh, negative stimuli. And just like alcohol and tobacco, that is absolutely not correct. It, it is upon all of us to get legislation in now to, to correct this. You can take away the advertising of it, which has worked in the past with tobacco and alcohol as well around sports, but the fact that a lot of people can bet on their phone, on their own, at any time of day, does it suggest we need to go further and that the betting industry measures of self-exclusion, they're not working, and we've seen some high-profile matters of betting companies being fined abroad over that, but do we need to go further and start looking at restricting use? Yeah, I mean, we several years ago, we would have suggested mandatory bet limits, loss limits. I mean, if a, if a young fella is losing, um, you know, as a 16-year-old of 23% of which we know are gambling for money, if they're losing, you know, vast sums of money or they're stealing from parents, that's a massive concern. Or if young people are spending their whole salary within one or two days, that's a huge concern. And that's exactly what I see in my clinic. Uh, what we've proposed is you put mandatory limits on those. So all bettors have to abide, you know, put these, put this data in at the start of a month and abide by it, and it's locked in. Now, obviously, now, and, and that, you know, it's been a voluntary code to date. That mandatory um, approach, in my view, would work. It would obviously be an imposition on, the, on people who don't have an issue, but I think it would work, yeah. We also have the issue of the National Lottery and, of course, lots of money go to good causes across the community and that's fantastic. But, of course, to do that, you have to spend money and there are people that perhaps might not know their limits. Should we look at curbs on the lottery? Well, of course. I mean, if you look at the Institute of Public Health data in the last few weeks, the second most common form of gambling in 16-year-olds was lottery products, including scratch cards. So, you know, this there there is no question that uh, lottery falls in under the headline of gambling and should be... Uh, you know, she should be considered as well. You can gamble at 18. Does that figure need to go higher? Of course, you can force now with the, because it's an app, because it's online registration, you can make people go up to maybe 21 or even 25. I think taking into account the medical knowledge that we know in terms of the development of the brain, particularly in males, I think there's a strong um, argument for that but in terms of policing in particularly on in the online space i think that's going to be incredibly difficult but what i would say is that you know we we are on the cusp now of having the introduction of the gambling control bill which is an absolutely fantastic um juncture and i think let's get on with that and then we can look at the rest of the detail in due course professor colin ogara consultant psychiatrist at st john god's hospital and before that pete lund head of the behavioral research unit at the esri thank you very much for joining us on that item the last word with matt cooper weekdays from 4 30 